0: .NET Rocks episode 907 with guest Matthew Padwasaki recorded live Thursday September 5th 2013 This episode is brought to you by Telerik offering the best in developer tools and support online at telerek.com and by Windows Azure who wants you, as an MSDN subscriber, to activate your free Windows Azure credits and start building your own dev test environment in the cloud. Activate before September 30th for a chance to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car. Go to rocks.com slash Azure to enter and win. And now, here are Carl and Richard.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, Carl and Richard. Man, it feels like forever since we've been back in the studio. Well, we-
0: yeah, because of the last round of recording we did, we did at that conference.
1: Yeah, that was a while ago. And
0: we did a lot of shows there, including number 900.
1: That was pretty good, yeah. I, I still we've, I feel like we need to work on our live uh, sound a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to work on that, folks. I, I was listening to that show, and sometimes it sounded a little wonky. Um, we're we're going to work on that. It's I always promise. a
0: challenge to make, you know, because we don't always have control over the gear either. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: So maybe that's what we need to do is is bring some more gear with us. Bring and, some large
0: diaphragm mics. Like, go yeah, for it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> okay. I think we should. All right. All right.
0: I well, like that idea. It'll be fun.
1: Well, anyway, more to come. Better know framework coming up. All right. What do you got? Well, a few days ago. Um. Well, a couple of weeks ago now from this recording, but. Uh, from when this comes out. But you know, on September 3rd, uh, Scott Guthrie posted uh, a blog post about new developments in Windows Azure. So just in case you missed it, go to tinyurl.com slash Azure 090313. And uh, some great updates to Windows Azure were announced. New capabilities include dedicated cache service, The pre announcing the preview of our new distributed, dedicated, high-performance cache service, he details it in the blog post. Also, auto-scale, schedule-based auto-scaling for websites and virtual machines, and richer auto-scale history logs. In the world of websites, new web server logging support to save HTTP logs to storage accounts. So that's nice. In mm-hmm. operations logs, new filtering options on top of operations logs. So you can read all about it, if you missed it, at tinyurl.com slash azure 90313 this is really where everybody's going, and uh, uh, there's just so much great new stuff coming out of Azure all the time. Well, and, and in schedule
0: based uh, scaling is pretty cool because it just sort of circumvents the whole issue of how do you detect that you need to scale. The da da, da 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 It's just like right. you know what we do a launch on this day at this time, so right. a half hour before I'm just going to light up a lot of instances. Yep. Which I can tell you, a lot of my customers have been doing. It's like they'd rather just over provision yep. and not worry about it, but yeah. to to, to be able to say when you think of it at the time, it's like, okay, here's how I'm going to over provision. And then, you know, we'll, we'll dial it back later on when we're sure.
1: Yeah. And it's nice to have your finger on the button, right? Yeah. You know, just to be able to dial it down. Literally. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think, it, I think manual automated dial up in advance of a big hit and then manual dial down seems to make the most sense. I mean, yeah. I think we're in love with the idea of automated elasticity. It's just that it's not it doesn't- real.
1: Well, you it really depends on failure first, you yeah. know?
0: I mean, you, you, you have, have to, to be in trouble. Yeah. And so why even like go that. there? Why not just get ahead of it? I'm with you. And it's just not enough money. Have you noticed that all the cloud rates are dropping? Like, it's
1: it's crazy cheap. It's a race to the bottom, definitely. Yeah, without I, a doubt. I hope they can uh, withstand that. Well, sure they can, but... I
0: know. guess we'll see. We'll see. Yeah.
1: All right, man. What do you got? Who's talking to us? Hey, I
0: grabbed a comment off of show 893, and that's the one we did with Scott Stanfield talking about Node, although this is not a real Node point per se, but it was a really interesting point that John made where he says, about the discussion about constantly changing libraries. It's okay early in the development cycle where things are in constant flux. However, when you get near to some magical halfway point, wouldn't you want to start locking things down a bit? Hmm. At the point at which test automation is firming up and people's expectations are as well, a weird bug that gets introduced because some random dev working on a dependent library makes a tweak to that library would be difficult to track down in your own code. Or worse, if a bug is introduced very near to deployment and no one notices. This is where configuration management comes into play and everyone needs to focus on the final release with a careful eye on the changes. Or do you think this is too, quote, old school? Hmm. And, I, you know, I, I realize John's poking fun at us, too, because we've had a lot of conversations lately about configuration management with continuous deployment. Right. It's just that whole mentality. I think there is clearly an arc of experimentation. But at some point you get to a place, like you said, sort of the halfway point where it's like, okay, you know, experimenting's over. The spikes have been taken. Now it's time to say this is what we're going to build the first version on. Yeah, You don't get to change these versions until we get something out the door to the customer, and then we'll talk about do we change these versions again. Right, right. It, it is really interesting to think about how that coalescing happens. We don't talk about it. We we tend to talk about development as this continuous stream, and it just isn't. Certainly. And I, and I think it applies nicely to what we're talking about today, too, with these sort of innovative ways of doing coding and deciding when does this make sense for what you want to do and how do you commit to it?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Let's uh let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, and then John, don't think I didn't notice that your icon is a TRS80 model 1. <laughs> it's not the only reason I selected your comment, but it didn't hurt. Thank you siry.net rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a .net rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. And those great apps were built by Diatom Enterprises who'd love to build you an app. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, man, speaking of TRS-80 Model 1s, Richard, I ran out of CompuServe Snap Packs. You got any hanging around? Because I really want to explore plus world. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> SnapPacks? <laughs> you remember those? Hey, 1992 called. They want your CD back. 1992. How about, yeah, how about 89? Oh, man. 90. That's a long <laughs> time ago. We're getting old. <laughs> getting old. All right. Anyway, before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online, hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by industry experts. They're releasing over 30 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. A totally wide range of developer courses, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including the .NET Reactive Extensions Framework. Try site today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us welcome back to the show Matthew Podwasaki. He's a software developer and reactive pusher at Microsoft. He currently works with the Reactive Extensions developer team, focusing on all versions of the Rx extensions for .NET, C++, JavaScript, Python, and Ruby. He's the primary author of the Reactive Extensions for JavaScript as well as other flavors such as Ruby. He's a fan of open source software and has worked closely with Microsoft Open Tech as he pushed the initiative to open source the Reactive Extensions and helped such efforts to get Node.js fully supported on Windows. He's a conference organizer, frequent speaker at conferences, and co-host of JSConf Live podcast and Robots Weekly videocast. Welcome back, Matt.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Oh, it's uh, been that long. I think, yeah, the last time we talked was on uh, the reactive extensions for JavaScript, I believe. Yeah. And yeah, certainly the the landscape has has changed quite a bit since then, actually. And it's 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 interesting that uh, in the earlier comment that you brought up uh, Node and and how much they break things. It, it's been fairly interesting as I've been a part of the the Node community for a while now. Was, gosh, since the 0.2 days when you could barely get it to compile on Windows yeah. uh, through Sigwin, and and it's interesting seeing the lessons they learned. For example, whether they pull, uh, they had the idea of putting in promises. Uh, as a way of doing uh, callback management. Then they decided to yank that out and said, no, 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 what we really want are callbacks with an error style first. And then they had to to learn about streams. So they had streams one iteration, which was up till about 0.8. And then they had uh, streams two, which was like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't the right idea of what we were doing. Uh, with uh, uh, with the pull versus push model. So in the previous versions, they were very much a push model. You subscribe to the data event, you get data pushed at you until the end event. Right. In Streams two, you have this whole idea of a readable event, and you keep reading until it's null. And then in Streams three, they're revisiting that for zero point one two. So it's it's still in a in a constant state of flux. And what you're going to find is some Fragmentation as to which streams library supports which which versions.
1: And if we could just back up a little bit, I know we don't like to you know go back all the way to basics, but it's a good good idea to sort of give the elevator speech about the reactive extensions, just for those who are listening.
2: Uh, oh, sure, curiosity. absolutely, absolutely. So uh, the reactive extensions, the way I like to describe it is is a uh, is kind of a. a a library for composing uh, rich, asynchronous, and event-based per, uh, programs together. Uh, and really, you could think of it as kind of three things, at least what we, uh, three core components of what we call it. Uh, we have these, these core objects of this observer and observable. So you have the observer, which is the receiver of, of messages, and the observable, which is the emitter of messages. So instead of, say, a push model, for example, uh, I enumerable, which is, you could say, is a pool model where you say for each and every single time it waits and gets the next uh, piece in there, uh, we have a push model where data says, okay, Observer is going to subscribe to Observable and start having data pushed at it. Right. So we have that core part. And then we have... Uh, Useful things on top of that uh, in in terms of link operators. So you could uh, you could do a select to uh, project a new value. You can f- uh, filter using where. You can group by. You can uh, uh, take until. You can skip. You can uh, aggregate. You can do any number of things uh, that you can do on the uh, link to objects version that you can to what we. Called reactive extensions at the very early uh, days was linked to events. Right. Yeah, that's what I think of
1: when I think of reactive extensions. I think of being able to take a whole bunch of event handlers and instead of handling the code in all these different places in event handler code, you sort of compose that all into an expression.
2: Exactly. What's What's interesting about that is is it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, asynchronous or event based at all. In fact, it's just a push collection. Right. Uh, in fact, most of the operators that you'll find are completely synchronous, and at only certain points are points of asynchronicity involved, such as listening to events, uh, calling HTTP client, any number of those things is where it where it comes into play. So that's, and then the third uh, aspect, and the thing that we don't really talk about as much uh, is this notion of schedulers. And the the, the schedulers is uh, basically is the where, wh- uh, where, how, and when uh, do particular operations happen? Uh, so for example, we could have a scheduler which then takes your action that you are going to do and says, I'm going to do it on the thread pool. Or another one says, no, I'm going to really do it on the immediate thread. Or I'm going to do it on a remote re- machine. It's those kinds of things where you can now schedule this work anywhere and, and at any time. I could also say schedule it at next Christmas uh, through our schedulers. The schedulers are actually so... Uh, I would say it could be independent of of Rx itself, Hmm. Uh, but it plugs in nicely so that any point during uh, your computation, you can switch your concurrency model. So for example, if you want to switch from your thread pool to the dispatcher thread, all you really have to say is observe on dispatcher scheduler.dispatcher or whatever uh, we have it as. it's those kinds of things where you can reintroduce concurrency is really, really interesting. And what makes it really uh, great for that is, is testability. Yeah. So we introduced this thing called virtual time. And virtual time allows you to uh, track uh thing, basically spin up a bunch of things and say at, at uh, 100 milliseconds, this will happen. At 200 milliseconds, this will happen. And 300 milliseconds, the sequence will end. Right. And then you can run it through and deterministically know what happens when uh, throughout. So it's great for testability. It's great for running historical data. And in fact, we have well over you know, thousands upon thousands of tests, uh, all synchronous, just using this notion of, of virtual time.
1: Yeah, that's pretty yeah. awesome.
2: Yeah, so it's it's completely interface driven, so that's great for for testability purposes, and uh, and our schedules are completely pluggable. So at a certain point, yeah, it, it's very very nice, and we've been able to to take this these lessons and apply them to a number of languages. So we started off with uh, with .NET uh, back in the uh, the Volta days. Uh, Volta, for those who weren't aware, was a project, and basically that you could do tier splitting of applications. So I could write the application once and retarget Silverlight or JavaScript.
1: Yeah, the 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 thing that was amazing about Volta was the recompiling of Java into JavaScript.
2: Yeah, so we actually open sourced the uh, the uh, one of the core components of Volta. Actually, most of them now. Uh, called IL to JS, and you can find that out on our GitHub uh, account. Uh, hmm. That is the ability to uh, to yes to take arbitrary IL as long as it follows some sort of norms of how Silverlight works, and uh, and recompile it into JavaScript.
1: Now wait a minute, because <laughs> you know that that uh... all right. So binding, how does that work?
2: What do you mean, binding? Uh, okay,
1: so binding. So, you know, you're using Knockout and things in JavaScript ah. for, to do binding, data binding, whereas in mm-hmm. Silverlight, you know, it's all built into XAML. So if you're, yep. if you're doing binding in XAML and you run it through IL to JS, mm-hmm. does, does does it, you know, imp- deploy Knockout there?
2: No, no. It, it, it in fact, uh, rewrites all the IL into appropriate JavaScript.
1: Really? So it just writes yeah. custom code yep. that does automatic binding? Dang, that's crazy. Yeah,
2: that's crazy. it. Was it, it was a, it was a great idea. Uh, it's it's hard to maintain, and yeah. it's been kind of gathering dust. There's a another project uh, from Kevin uh, Kevin Gad who works at Mozilla uh, called JSIL, and he took the XNA uh, samples and recompiled them into JavaScript in the same kind of way that we were doing. Hmm. Uh, it's a really cool project, but wow. anyways, um, so we've we've taken a number of lessons learned uh, and and applied it to a number of languages. So C plus was another one that we wanted to tackle. There are a lot of uh, native developers, especially uh, with the resurgence in uh, in popularity or at least in emphasis of C in the Microsoft uh, echo chamber or ecosphere, whatever. Uh, so th- there was a, there was a clamoring and said, "Okay, well, you've taken care of .NET. Why can't you take care of us?" Uh, so that's exactly what we did: is we uh, we created RxCPP, and uh, that gives you uh, most of the capabilities that the uh, .NET version has, uh, of course, with limitations, mind you. Um, JavaScript, of course, was one of our uh, one of our uh, our second target for the reactive extensions, and uh, then you know, during some off hours, I'm like, you know, we, we really need to to look into other languages as well. It's like since we can, we know we've proven these these concepts can can scale from language to language, and it's fairly independent. Why don't we just start writing versions for other languages just to see how it works? And so uh, at the time, I was working with uh, Jim Deville, who was, uh, who was working on Iron Ruby at the time. He and I sat down and we wrote a little bit of, of Ruby and, uh, and that, and we released that as open source. It needs a lot of work, but, uh, but it shows the concepts uh, can move over to, uh, to Ruby quite well. Uh, also, we, uh, we introduced a Python version, so uh, Python was another one where, like, well, why not <laughs> uh there there are a lot of people in the python community so we had uh, some good contributions from uh uh from some folks up in uh, up in norway and in microsoft and we worked with them to uh basically assume uh ownership so uh back in november of uh of last year i um uh, uh I led the initiative and uh, worked closely with MS Open Tech and Eric Meyer uh, to open source uh, the reactive extensions. So literally everything that we had done, uh, both with uh, .NET, C++, and and JavaScript, and the reasons kind of why why it falls into there is because you know if I'm going to write something in JavaScript, we, we kind of want the the community to embrace it, and. Embrace it in their own language without them having to, you know, sit there decompile it and try to figure out what we, what kind of clever things that we were doing. Uh, not only that, but it just made it a lot more easy for people to to relate to what we were doing. Uh, so we did that, and. It was actually fairly interesting because uh, you had Netflix, who uh, who was a good partner of ours uh, with the reactive extensions for .NET and JavaScript. They went off and uh, wrote uh, Rx Java. Now Rx Java is on GitHub. It's under their uh, the Netflix organization, and it's basically taking lock, stock, and barrel the concepts from the reactive extensions and, and porting it directly into Java.
1: Wow! Wow!
2: And what's, what's neat about that is, so they're, they're taking all the Java isms, which is, which is fine and dandy. And not only that, but they're also uh, doing adapters for all the other uh, JVM languages so that it feels natural to use it not only in, in Java, but also in Scala and Clojure and uh, any other language in, in the JVM. So, kind of mapping how functions kind of map from one thing to another since Java. Uh, earlier versions didn't have such things as as first class functions, hmm. uh, you know, so it, it's it's the mapping of all of those particular things all together. So
1: I'm really happy that this mat, that this uh, stayed extensions and you know wasn't rolled out as like a feature of C sharp or something like that. Were there any discussions inside Microsoft about you know how it would be presented?
2: Well uh yeah i mean there there are a number of efforts i mean as you can remember going back to the uh the grand old days of dot net 4 with uh with the focus on concurrency mm. uh you had the tpl you had p link right. and all of, and none of those were necessarily shipping out of the box but we were kind of evolving at such a fast pace that uh that it was hard for us to really work with the uh, the the BCL team directly on on getting adoption on it, uh, there. So what was what was nice is the fact that we could set our own shipping schedule, as it were. Uh, did it hurt adoption? Maybe, uh, but if you look at the phone, you look at uh, all the other places uh, that we've delivered. Uh, 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 the reactive extensions for you know whether it's uh windows phone uh windows phone whether it's uh we had a port for x and a we had pretty much ports for everything yeah and and that was that was kind of our key win because it's uh, just a
1: it's a really cool idea that's plumbing saying it's right. just basic stuff but just really intelligently yeah. applied, yeah, brilliant
2: yeah what's what's great about this is there's kind of been this this uh, resurgence around reactive programming as a whole uh, it's it's fairly interesting to actually watch this as uh, i i I wouldn't say that we were were certainly the first but uh, uh, there are there have been a lot of languages that are trying to adopt this functional reactive uh, programming style so you have the elm language which uh, which is a javascript uh, language that compiles to JavaScript to be kind of first class events and uh, and full functional reactive programming, it kind of very much looks haskellish uh, You have flapjacks, which is uh, another library that was was doing that and then you had us and uh, and it's it's kind of starting to take a, on a life of its own. You have uh, projects like React from uh, from Facebook, uh, Rx Java, and everything else. So what was fascinating was was uh, a couple of months ago, Bruce Eckel, uh, who's a uh, pretty famous guy uh, in programming, and the creator of Akka, both uh, uh, published this uh, Reactive Manifesto, and. Uh, this manifesto is kind of a, uh, I, I don't know, just a, kind of a d- definition of what exactly reactive uh, programming is or reactive programs are. Uh, you know, must be, in order to be called reactive, so they must be able to react to events, so they're very event-driven. Uh, react to load, so you can uh, f- uh, focus on scalability, meaning I can span out Uh React to failure. Uh, obviously, you can retry, do any number of, of, of things, or or uh, on air resume next, whichever you'd, you'd feel like doing, uh, and react to users. So, combine the above traits for a really rich, interactive, uh, uh, kind of a really rich and reactive uh, user interface. So, all of those kinds of things are 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 uh, are. Are popping right now, and what's really great is is uh, we've gone even further with uh, Martin Odersky, Eric Meyer, and Rowan Kuhn uh, from have gone through Coursera. So they are going to be teaching uh, this fall a course on reactive programming uh, through Coursera. And it should be pretty awesome, and eric is uh, is promising that if you're in the the Bay Area uh, that uh, you can come and learn personally from him or uh, uh, or perhaps through Facebook, something like that. Wow so yeah, so it's it's all really, really cool stuff, but I mean the world of concurrency is 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 in itself a fairly interesting thing right now. Uh, the, for example, the reactive extensions for for JavaScript, at least for me, are are still evolving. So maybe the .NET stuff. I think we're we're largely at a pretty comfortable spot right now in version two point one, with all a lot of the changes that uh, that Bart did uh, uh, a while ago in terms of performance and so forth. And I think we're we're pretty good at the, uh, about that. There are a few things that we, you know, we're looking at in, in terms of the future, such as uh, pause and resume semantics. Uh, for example, if your observer gets overloaded, how do you tell the observable to sl- slow down or stop? And then how do you get it to resume? Uh, that's when you're dealing with you know, really high load, complex event processing systems without having to just call buffer and then just get an array, is how do you really, at, at, at a deep level, solve some of those issues? Uh, but in javascript uh new libraries seem to come out day in and day out it's really hard to stay on top of it all uh and and obviously we're we're trying to get that to a point where you can use uh where uh it's it's perfectly good to use uh r x j s in uh, in your node application it works just great in there it works in uh in your uh, uh Windows, uh, WinJS project. It works on your Node project. It works on your regular web project. Mm. And we have some really nice extensions to jQuery, to the DOM, to any number of things that you m- might want to, to do. And not only that, but we're, we're focusing a lot on perf and, and, uh, and those sorts of things as well as how can we eke the most out of JavaScript because it's such a flexible language is, uh, every single little line counts.
0: I just like the idea that we're bringing link to all these languages.
2: Yeah, and in fact, uh, yeah, as part of the uh, the open source efforts, uh, we we released the uh, the interactive ex- extensions as well. So, if you're not familiar with that, the interactive extensions was uh, uh, was basically t- us taking up part of uh, part of the pieces from. Uh, uh, from uh, what we did in the reactive extensions and applying them to IEnumerable. And uh, so, for example, we can now do buffering. We can do uh, uh, memoization. uh, This concept of of publish, which means you share an underlying subscription, meaning that all of your side effects are basically cached. as a whole, so it, there are a number of, of operators, and we have that full implementations for uh, for uh, for C plus uh, for JavaScript and for uh, uh, and for .NET, and not only that, but we actually went a step further than that and actually open uh, open sourced uh, Link to Objects itself. So wow. if you're really if you're really curious about uh, uh, link to objects, uh, you'll find if you go to rx.codeplex.com and you look under the IX uh, piece, uh, you will find innumerable.cs is just sitting right in there, and it's all Apache two licensed, and you're good to go.
1: Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You
2: guessed it. It's
1: time to memoize my iterator. Oh, Oh,
0: no, it's enumeration humor. Save me.
1: No, it's time to give away a Telerik Devcraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, I need to tell you that Telerik recently, well, not so recently, released DevCraft for Q2 2013, second quarter. The 10 new controls and over 250 new features across all six of their UI control suites allow you to cover more scenarios out of the box. Tile list for AJAX, calendar, data storage, touch, and more for Windows 8, as well as offline cloud data synchronization for Windows Phone and Cloud MBAS are just a few of the major new things. The newly introduced graph interactivity support in Telerik reporting helps you create even more interactive reports. JustCode's new integration with Just Decompile allows you to debug third-party libraries without having the source code available. Check it out at Telerik.com. Don't forget to thank them for supporting Rocks.
0: For sure. So who's our
1: winner, buddy? Our winner is Scott Wood.
0: Congratulations, Scott. Golf clap for you, sir.
1: Got my clapper today. Oh, you got the clappers. Yeah, the I clappers got, are I, bad. I found one of them anyway. There you go. And, of course, we give away CDs now because uh, we have two to pick from. Not only do we have Franklin Brothers' Lifeboat to Nowhere, but uh, my new CD, Ben A While, that uh, just came out. So I'm going to give away a Ben A CD, and uh, today's winner is Herbert Shaw. Ah, congratulations, Herbert. Yep. He definitely got the better deal. No, I'm just kidding. Just just kidding. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, which is everything they do in one box. Yeah. Yeah. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .netrocks you know,
0: Before card. we talk about the five grand, we should talk about another giveaway that Microsoft's doing.
1: That's right. Lawrence mentioned this at the beginning of the show. This is the uh, just for MSDN subscribers. They already have Azure credits. So we want them to go and activate your Azure credits, take it for a spin. And if you go to .netrocks.com slash Azure and activate through that, you could win an Aston Martin V8.
0: And we're not talking about a model. We're not talking about road control. We're talking about the actual car. Yeah, so you go to slash Azure. You activate the MSDN credits you already have. You get them every month. And believe me, if you've got a, a universal subscription, like that's $150 a month. It's hard to spend it. Yeah, it is. You can do a lot with that. But if you get that done before September 30th, you're automatically into the sweepstakes. You could win yourself a car.
1: And we ought to say that it's for the dev yeah, You know, there's a bunch of
0: things you can do with it, but they it's really are tending it. If you want to do testing with it, we've done a couple of shows on this subject. It's very cool. Yeah. But I do
1: want to talk about the five grand too. Yeah. So we give away $5,000 worth of technology every December. We did last year to Rob Corbett. He got a, a developer machine. That's what he wanted. Richard specked it out. Yep. And, Touch uh, screen, yeah. connect, all the goodies. We like to ask our guest, Matthew. If you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
2: Oh gosh, uh, I would probably buy a, a few, uh, uh, probably a few board, uh, a lot of uh, electronic boards, whether it's BeagleBone Arduino, Netduino, nice. et etc., and probably uh, probably ship them to uh, to little high schools. Quite honestly, yeah, uh, that's great. It it yeah, so. One of the things that uh, that Chris talked about was was our involvement in Teals uh and a few other uh things like DigiGirls and it was it was great to actually get up there and and demonstrate just you know making a, an LED blink on an Arduino is is still very very fascinating to girls you know in si- in 6th grade uh-huh. uh is that in you know in five lines of code that you can make make an LED blink they were really interested in 3D printing as well, but the kind of the, the the sweetest payoff of it all was was this one girl, very shy, came up to us afterwards and was asking. She was like, "This is all really cool. How do I get started?" So what we did is we just gave her the uh, the programming Arduino uh, cookbook and said, "Here you go."
0: Go to it. and
2: and yeah, go for it. So, you know, buying a board is is not all that expensive. The uh, the software is free. Um, and it's a cool and easy way to get started. I know uh, when I was a kid, I had uh, uh, the same kind of things, but it was more along the lines of chemistry sets and uh, RC cars and doing all those weird things. But if I had something like that, I'm sure I'd be uh, be much more of a mad scientist than I am now. I uh, do you
0: think Arduino is the chemistry set of the 21st century.
2: Uh yeah, I mean any of those uh, those uh, those board sets. I mean, you're seeing if you go on the Hacker News every other day, there's a new uh board set uh coming out. This sure. one has JavaScript on it. This one has uh this link, uh you know .net on it. This one uh this one does that. This one does this. It's really really cool.
0: I'm just looking at the Femtoduino. Yeah. 20 bucks, half an inch wide, about an inch long.
2: Yeah. That I, is uh, small. Yeah, I backed an RF Duino, uh, so it's really tiny and has RF, so it's all good.
1: I'm uh, I I do the same with the Gadgeteer. I love the .NET Gadgeteer platform.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and in fact, uh, yeah, we uh for Robots Weekly, we're going to have a show on uh, Gadgeteer and such. Awesome. So it should be should be pretty cool. But but that's really where I think that in the next couple of years, kids are really going to have a more of a hands on with. Uh, uh, with kind of the things that's, that we did, I, I would say that there's been a lull since you know the introduction of the iPod. Is that people didn't get into hardware hacking anymore? No, you know, not not in the days where everyone was just I was taking apart my Commodore 64 and and trying to fix my 1541 drive. And, yes. Uh, uh, right. And uh, and building up my own systems and and but back s- then that there. stuff
0: was much more serviceable. I think we hit a point where everything was so highly integrated, it was throw it away or just replace it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I burned my hands a number of times on solder uh, as a kid, and it was. Uh, and I don't think I shorted out too many uh, uh, too many uh, uh, sockets, but I'm sure I did. Uh, <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I want to uh, cycle back to Rx because I think sure. we spent the first half of the show at a fairly academic space. Like I appreciate that you got us caught up and read, just to realize this thing has spread; everybody's oh. using it. But yep. can we talk through a couple of projects? And and I do want to use Jim Woolley's quote from from uh, from Twitter here, where he said, "Link was the gateway drug to functional programming for C sharp, but Reactive ah. Extensions is the crack."
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a very interesting quote. I mean, uh it's it, it is true. I, I would certainly say that uh uh, that link, uh, link to objects especially was, was a very much a, a, gateway drug for people to understand that people have been doing these kinds of, of comprehensions, uh, for quite some time, whether it was in Haskell through the list monad and so forth. Uh, so it's, it's bringing the queryability and, and some rich, really rich expressions to it. Uh, it's, to a programming model, and what you don't realize is that you switched over from a fairly imperative model. For example, filtering a collection right. uh, before you would for each over it and then add it to a new one is that it's all done in line. You're kind of telling it what to do not, in a very declarative fashion, and and. Rx, yes, takes that to the nth degree and says, you know, we're going to take link, we're going to turn it on its head, and we're going to add a notion of time to it. So, yeah, so that would, uh, would, would definitely um, uh, apply. I mean, it, it becomes very, very pervasive, especially with event handlers and so forth. The great thing about uh, how Rx handles event handlers is that uh, we have deterministic disposal of of event handlers. So, for example, in many applications, people will just register um, uh, event handlers everywhere, and not realizing how many they're exactly allocating or deallocating. And right. what's worse in, in in .NET is the fact that when you subscribe uh, or or you subscribe with a lambda function, you cannot unsubscribe from that particular fun- uh, you cannot unsubscribe that handler. Because it would have a different function identity altogether. So that was bad. Yeah. Now, Rx, what we did is we wrapped everything into a nice compact little disposable. So for example, I can say mouse uh, mouse down and uh, select many, mouse move, take until mouse up. And now I have three events composed into one. So when I subscribe to it, then I can do all the normal things that you would do with drag and drop. And then when you call dispose on the subscription, I clean up all three handlers for you. Right. It, it adds that, that, that consistency. It, it adds it very much this, this grammar that we enforce at the very specific level. You know, sure, and, going, and, and, you know, uh,
0: Phil Trelford said on Twitter as well, like, what's the difference between Rx and Async Await? And I think you're describing it beautifully. As the complexity grows, even with Async Await, you get a lot of statements running at once. It just gets confusing to understand what's going on. This, oh, sure. It, this much more declarative approach to things, you just see these are the queries, quote-unquote queries, that are effectively running, and they'll yeah. let you know when something occurs.
2: Exactly. So, yeah, for example... uh Trying to do operations like a zip, or skipping, or any number of those kinds of of things, windowing, buffering, uh, a lot of those are very, very hard to express in uh, async await style programming because yeah. usually when you're dealing with events and async await, you would have a, like a while true loop, and basically inside that while true loop, you're going to await this event, then you're going to await that event, hopefully in that order. Um, and, and then do something about it. Um, and, and the good news is that Rx at least uh, uh, supports async and await. So, uh, so if you need just the last value from a particular um, uh, observable sequence, you can do that through an await. And it takes care of all the, the good stuff for you. Absolutely. Yeah, so it just matters about, about a certain complexity. If you're just awaiting a simple web service call and that's about it and you're not coordinating it with anything else, then chances are async await is, is the better option for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, however, if, you, if you're if you going to start going down the rabbit hole of I'm going to need to throttle this data, I'm going to need to uh, combine it with other sources such as, uh, such as keystrokes and, and what have you, or other events, such as your GPS movements, that's when it really comes into play, is when you need to coordinate a lot of different piece, moving parts, and not only that, but introduce timing to it. So, Carl.
1: Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago, I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's component1spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1.
0: Smarter components for smarter developers.
1: Matt, can you tell me more about the what happened with Netflix? Maybe a case study? Is there a case study around it?
2: I don't know if there's a necessarily a, a case study per se, um, but I do know that uh, they, they are actively using it uh, there. Uh, to, to quote... Uh, uh, Ben Christensen, who is the uh, the head of, uh, of RxJava, or at least uh, been the majority of the speaker, he's uh, saying that uh, f- functional reactive programming with uh, RxJava has enabled developers to leverage server-side concurrency without typical thread safety and synchronization concerns. Uh, the API service layer implementation has control over all the concurrency primitives, which enables them to pursue performance improvements without fear of breaking client code.
1: So this is so fundamental to their apps.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not only their apps, but it's their server infrastructure.
1: Their server infrastructure. Yeah. yeah
2: so so you'll find that uh that uh, yeah that netflix is is not only using r x on the client but they are also using r x on the server wow hmm. yeah and and the beauty of of at least uh, the r x models and what we're finding is is since it supports link uh link supports query expressions mm-hmm and uh, so the idea uh, for that I'm looking at for you know Rx uh, VNext kind of things, even for JavaScript, is what if I could take uh, my JavaScript callbacks, turn them into uh, turn them into expression trees, and ship them off to a different server, and have uh, that act act as uh, part of my uh, concurrency layer? It's those kinds of things that are are potentially very interesting. Yeah. For example, I could rewrite "link to index DB" in JavaScript. Jeez,
0: huh, mind so, blown. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking about what that means.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, "link to MongoDB" or "link to this" or "link to that." Right. Uh, "Link to OData," all in uh, all in JavaScript. No magic strings required. Um, so it's it's all of those things combining, uh, compiling it down to expression trees. I mean, it's it's really a fascinating time to to be around this this kind of stuff because they are doing some really ingenious stuff, and we've had uh, quite a few uh, teams within Microsoft that I can't necessarily mention off the top of my head, but uh, that they're using it in pretty ingenious ways that even makes my mouth drop. And I wrote the darn thing. Uh. Uh, so. Every time I, I come up to a customer, my mind is always blown. It's just like, I had never thought of that. Right. That's really kind of cool. Right. And, uh, for example, at NDC, uh, people were using uh, RX to control a drone. Right. Uh, yeah. the, the Parrot drone, which I thought was pretty ingenious. I actually had done that back, in, uh, 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 back at uh, the first NodeCopter event. In Berlin last year, Chris Williams and I we were working on it, and I got programmed the Konami code into um, into our drone using RX to uh, uh, to uh, respond to the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start, and then it would do a backflip, and. uh, And, yeah, and all with uh, very few lines of code to do that. Nice. Handling all the concurrency and all of that. So these guys took that to the next level, and uh, I was like, wow. Wow,
0: indeed. It just sort of turns this model on. The same effect you have a functional program. This is a different way to think about solving the problem.
2: Sure, absolutely. And and certainly it's not the only way, uh, but... But it's, it's one that, that interests me a lot. Now, for example, Clojure went off and, uh, recently did Core.async, in which they are using more of the Go style of concurrency using, uh, using channels. And it's, it's fairly interesting. It's taking an old idea from Tony Hoare back in 78, and the idea of talking, uh, over channels, basically publishing and listening to, uh, uh, basically, messages through channels is, is fairly interesting and blocking until you until you get one. So you kind of get this resumption model uh, is fairly interesting. But what's cool about that is the fact that you can build on Rx on top of that too.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's very. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah, and and ES6 is actually br- you know, the next version of uh, of JavaScript is bringing in generators, which even brings. Uh, more fun to to the story where you can go even further where now link becomes a lot easier because now you have yield semantics. So you have the pause and resume semantics through hmm. yield. Uh, so you could write link just as you would through... Uh, 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 through that you wouldn't see sharp, you get the same kind of semantics in, uh, uh, in JavaScript, which is great because then it would make my life a lot easier. Right. And not only that, but it's it makes life very easy for uh, uh, for for doing a lot of lightweight concurrency. Because Mm -hmm. you can do set timeouts and yield and all that good stuff.
0: Now you're starting to really run into async await behavior too.
2: Exactly, you can implement async await exactly that way. Absolutely. I guess the
0: question is: Are these competing technologies? Like, why do we have both? Well, I understand the difference. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. We'll we'll back up even further. So so JavaScript is actually trying to standardize on on the idea of a promise. You're, so, promise is, uh, uh, so that Win.js has the promise object, jQuery, Dojo, pretty much every library out there has some form of a promise. And uh, Dominic Demicola and, uh, and a few others, like Alex Russell, really try to standardize what, what a promise is. A promise is kind of a one-and-done operation. I'm going to make an AJAX call, and I'm going to return the results or, or uh, handle the error. And that's really good for one and done operations. Rx already has that kind of concept through an async subject, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so the promises, they're actually trying to standardize through the DOM itself. So, for example, things that are, are kind of one and done operations, whether it's, uh, loading a file or something like that, is actually standardized as, as a promise. Now, what's nice is since it's going to be kind of standardized, it's easy to go back and forth between observables, which are zero to uh, many values, uh, to a promise, which is a one-and-done kind of operation. So it's really kind of distinguishing the two of them because mm-hmm. event-based and, and one-and-done don't exactly always see eye-to-eye. Eye. No. And, and the, the reactive style is that we can react to any n number of events, and we're unfazed by it. Uh, we, can, uh, we can compose over it. We can do any number of those things. Async await is great if you just need to make a, uh, a web service call, uh, you know, AJAX call, any number of those things. You get it back, you get your data. Rx takes that level further when you get more complicated.
1: Right, especially when lots of things are happening coming Absolutely. to you, being pushed to you. Absolutely. Um, what's in your inbox, man? What's next for you?
2: What's in my name? Well, as I said, uh, I, well, I've got a bunch, few conferences to, uh, to attend to. So it's a strange loop out in uh, uh, St. Louis. Uh, we are going to be doing um, uh, uh, an RX talk there. And then uh, at Qcon in November we're going to actually have a uh, Me and Jafar Hussein from uh, from Netflix are going to be doing an RXJS uh tutorial out there and Eric Meyer's is going to be there. Right. It's going to be uh it's going to be a lot of fun and uh what else? What's um, the date on that? Uh what's the date on that? Uh sometime in November. Okay. Uh, I am sure I'll remember it when I, when I when my we'll, plane ticket actually... We'll put a actually, link
1: up on the page.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, so so Strange Loop is coming up uh in a couple of weeks. Really, really cool uh conference. And uh then uh then I'm focusing on uh, on robots and uh RobotsConf trying to uh to help us uh get some really uh really interesting content there. I think uh Chris and I will uh will We'll try to uh, to do a lot of really really interesting things. Trying to bring people into hardware so that people are not afraid that they're going to burn down their house or or short out their electrical systems. That getting started with uh, with these you know twenty dollar kits is really nothing. And here's what the realm of the possible. Yeah, and not only that, but uh, also getting more involved in uh, in earlier education, trying to kind of spread the love uh, of programming and the and the, the love of math, trying and get kids uh, really in, in, interested in, in CS and CS like professions. That well, and the, in, and the RX work will probably never let up in terms of just we've we've got so many ideas, so yeah. many places we can take this. Uh you have a great job. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It never well, gets boring. I, no, it, it never gets boring and and it's it's always great to to interact with uh the open source community as well. For example, you know, talking with Ryan Dahl back at JSConf EU 2010 about how can we get Microsoft and, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft and and Node.js to work together. And it's those kinds of things, those kinds of things is why I love going to conferences, having those conversations, bringing people together. Uh, Being an ambassador, uh, you know, of Microsoft and believing in open source and believing that they can help each other is is a lot of fun. And and it's something that I, I take on readily as a challenge from day to day.
1: Awesome. Matthew, thank you very much. Matt Podrasaki, Reactive Extensions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back.
1: You bet. All right, we'll see you next time on DotNet Rocks. Go, Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. online at www.franklins.net for more dot net rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com Got